Warning, Star Trek from the holodeck contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. Walk it alone! Fire! Holodeck 3 program is reinstated. Open sesame! Commander Klingon vessel. We are energizing transport of him. Now. Welcome, everyone, to Star Trek from the Holodeck. I'm your host and Captain Michael Flores. And on the bridge with me is Ensign David. Hello. Hello, everybody. Okay, David, well, we've made it through yet another season of this new era of Star Trek. And I will still stand by what I said leading into the second season of Strange New Worlds. I believe that we have worked through most of our growing pains in this Kurtzman era, and we are, for the most part, on solid ground. Correct? I I mean, am I I alone? Okay. I would agree that we're on solid ground now because, like... But don't get cocky, right? You're still under the shadow of Rick Berman and Michael Piller. Yeah. You still have... You still have to live up to those expectations, and I, I... I see season two as them finally finding their footing, going for it, and also still experimenting. Yeah. Like they were still not really trying to find their footing, but they were trying to find their boundaries now, where they can go. Yeah. And honestly, they tested their boundaries very well because a lot of the episodes this season that you could quote call experimental worked out for them to be some of their best episodes. And mm, their best episodes, some of their best, not, not, not the best. The mainstream <laughs> seems to think it's the best. Yeah. Because they like those fun, quirky. Yeah. I just, quirky episodes. to me, Star Trek isn't really about that, but point taken, Dave, they are trying to accommodate the, the diversity of their fan base. There are people like me that like more serious Star Trek. I like my Star Trek um, pretentious, if you will. I like I li- that. It dark is- and broody, dark and broody and intellectual and philosophical. That's what I prefer. That's what Star Trek has always been built on. Yeah. But also going back to the original st- series, Star Trek's also campy at times. And TNG also had their campy moments. Okay. Theory's oh, talking to me. Oh, um, so So understanding that Star Trek has also ventured into the silly territory, I'm okay with with the silly episodes. They're not my favorite episodes personally, but what they did with those silly episodes absolutely did work. And in the end, the silly episodes actually helped further much of um, much of our needed character moments our our character arcs were extended in those silly episodes or those gimmick episodes as scary will. as scary as it sounds yeah though i mean like there was a substantial those, amount actually of development of development in those episodes even and particularly with pike yeah if you think absolutely like, if you think of like the the, the two quote-unquote silly episodes that come to mind is like uh those old scientists and uh the rhapsody one Pike's story was at Pike's development was front and center in that. Yeah. And that's why David, I, I, I will openly and honestly say it may not be my, my thing, but I can also be objective in my analysis and say, yeah, it may not be my thing, but it was really well done. Yes. So we will get into our overall thoughts on the season towards the end of the show but for now let's jump into the series finale or the season finale hegemony this is one of the episodes a type of episode that i've been wanting all season they've alluded to the gorn threat in various moments throughout yes. this season and because of that i figured it was only going to be a matter of time uh, the gorn threat was not as prevalent as i would have hoped 
But by having them play a big part in the season finale, the writer stuck to a tried and true archetype as it pertains to Star Trek narrative. The Gorn threat was also used to smooth and flesh out some of the last minute emotional strands brought on by Chapel and Spock's falling out. Yes. And Pike's willingness to open up to Patel. I also really like what they're doing with the Gorn. I know there are some Star Trek purists. I consider myself a purist, but I'm also open to new ideas. I'm not a narrow-minded purist, but there are some purists that were really upset with what they were doing with the Gorn because they are saying that it's breaking canon. But the visual effects uh, supervisor in an interview recently um, said a few things that should probably calm some of us down when it comes to canon. And it has to do with the fact that what we're seeing is probably a different version of the Gorn. Yes. And that's the thing is kind of like the Gorn themselves. Strange New Worlds has been able to actually find a core villain, much like how TNG made the Borg. The original series made the Romulans. Strange New Worlds has made their bread and butter is the Gorn. Since season one, their best episodes had to deal with the horror of this new threat. Now there, I agree with you. And I'm like, going, <laughs> what is the one thing me and you and a lot of past episodes have always stated? Star Trek needs to focus on more than just the Borg, the Klingons, and the Romulans. They need to bring in more of their other species and actually put them front and center because that's what made Deep Space Nine special because they introduced the Dominion. Right, and I was hesitant a bit with the Gorn last season just because I am a canon baby. I want things to make sense. Um, And I believe they never saw Gorn in its complete animalistic form. They never saw them until, I believe, the arena episode where Kirk was fighting the Gorn. (laughs) Yeah. But let's go back to Enterprise. Let's go back to uh, Star Trek Nemesis and remember that many times they will take these species and they'll flesh them out. And we realize that they're introducing a subspecies or a variation of the species. A variation of the species they, because of certain elements. Right. They did that with the Andorians in the Enterprise. Yes. They did that with the Romulans in Star Trek Nemesis. And they've done it a few other times as well. They did it in, with the Borg, technically. In the final season of Picard, yeah. they changed the Borg. They changed the Borg. They also changed the shapeshifters. So if we're seeing a variation of the Gorn, a subspecies, a rival species, and that's what we're actually seeing, which it seems to be, that seems to be the case, which we'll get into that towards the yes. end as well. So just like what you said, Dave, I really like what they're doing with the Gorn because just like you had mentioned with TNG, you know, TNG fabricated their greatest villain, the Borg, by embracing the cinematic legacy of the zombie genre. Yes. The creative powers behind Strange New Worlds are borrowing or possibly leaning into the science fiction horror craze that really took off in 1979 with Ridley Scott's Alien. Yes. That's where a lot of these influences are coming from. So they're 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 delving into similar territory here. The producers are strange new worlds as the producers for TNG people. Some people, some of the younger listeners or audiences out there for star Trek may not be aware that the zombie was inspiration for the Borg. In fact, I remember first contact the movie when it came out in 1996, I believe was the year it premiered. I remember there were tons of interviews and articles talking and referring to them, the Borg star Trek's space zombies return in its second next generation led film. So that's, it's always been there. So for these producers to lean into that, lean into that sandbox as well, it feels conducive. It feels right. It does because like, and it feels not just right, but unique because like, instead of leaning towards the zombie genre, like what they did with the Borg here with the Gorn, especially this past episode, I fully see, you know, like 
because I love the sci-fi genre just in general. It's sci-fi it's, horror. It's sci-fi horror slash alien movie. That's when true sci-fi horror started. Yeah. But even like even down to like even the more lesser known alien movies out there, you know, like Critters. Oh, look stuff at you. Like, stuff like that. Critters. They they bring that type of disturbing horror element where it's like the alien species in question is seen as this bestial un you know you can't communicate with it type of creature where there's no communicating with it it's going to want to eat you or it's want to impregnate you with its young I, at least that's what they're alluding to for the purposes of fear tactics however i have a feeling that the gore are going to be far more complicated but that's the thing that's a beautiful thing strange new worlds can do that because i honestly have faith in their writing writing staff that during this episode i was like going yeah they're leaning into that trope but they're going to try to give it that special twist that they always do for the past two seasons where there's a little bit more behind the scenes that they'll leak out and say, let's give them a true motivation instead of just making them an eating machine. Let's give them true motivation. Let's give them believability. Right. Cause even the Borg, it wasn't just this collective mind that was intent on assimilation yes overtly that is exactly what they were about but as we were introduced to more and more borg scenarios we found out that especially in voyager it was they were far more complicated because you can't simply create a monster and continually use it and think it's going to have the same effect eventually you got to continue to progress and make them more interesting. And make it more interesting. Now, yeah. David, you mentioned the critter, but I raise you Quartermass in the pit. <laughs> <laughs> in the pit. That's a classic. That is. I fucking that love is. that movie. You want to watch a hokey sci-fi movie that's actually brilliant? That's it right there. It All is. All right. Let's get back on subject. Captain April's words to Pike, which goes pretty much in line with what we were just talking about. When he says monster is a word to describe those who don't understand us. We're going to explore the philosophical underpinnings of such a statement. Yes. In just a moment, we are going to get into that because it captured a very key component of Roddenberry's vision. And of course, David Montgomery Scott has finally arrived and he's already dazzling the minds of captains everywhere. Yes. <laughs> what a way to introduce Scotty because he was just the yes. gadgets he came up with and the, the fixes and uh, solutions was, it was so on par and, and with throwing everything in, Scotty throwing in the fact that basically it's all from also a tragic trauma that just happened because he had to abandon his crew to get away from the Gorn. And I'm like going, that's actually kind of cool. That's why, Scotty is the way he is. He's a little quirky. He's he he's he is like the big brain of of the the enterprise. He is the chief engineer down the line. I just the only thing and you know what? Let's save it. No, let's talk about it now. Okay. The only thing I want from this is I'm tired. Yeah, well, I'm just gonna be negative, I guess. <laughs> I really liked what they did with Scotty. I okay. did. But let's remember how Scotty actually was in the movies and the original series. He wasn't on the spectrum. Okay. And it seems like every movie producer, director, writer, every time you have a zany character now, they write them as if they're on the spectrum. I have to agree with you. Do you, you. get what I'm saying? Yes. Like, that's the new thing. Well, he's a zany character. If you guys remember, you guys remember that? Well, we're going to do this. And now they become these characters that are all very similar in a lot of ways. Well, so look at the, the character that they paired him up with. They paired him up with Pelia. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and it was like, but even Simon Pegg, Scotty, he became that. Yeah, he was frantic. He was always like it felt like he was just going to explode with this internal excitement all the time. He was always filled with anxiety. And that wasn't Scotty. Scotty was actually cool, calm and collective. He was third man. Yeah, he was the captain. Whenever Spock and Kirk were off the bridge, he was in charge. He yeah. was very serious minded. 
he had interesting character quirks because of his Scottish background. Yeah. It made him interesting, but he wasn't a character that was designed to be on the spectrum. And now every dude, every TV show, every movie now they, has to do it. They do this now with these quirky characters. Like you could have quirky characters who are intriguing without making them have anxiety problems and who are frantic. The 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 thing that basically I'm not Maybe. saying that's what they're doing with him right but it now, feels like but it. it feels like that's what they're going to do because that seems to be the go-to now with oh, yeah. every TV show and movie. And the thing was, the only thing that saved the Simon Pegg to me, the Simon Pegg rendition, because I like Simon Pegg's rendition, was the fact that they threw in the fact that Scotty was traumatized because all the great ideas he was having always blew up in his face. Like... He accidentally in the Kelvin movies. In the Kelvin movies. Yeah. No, I, I liked what they did. And I them. liked what they did there because then that explained why he was quote unquote on the spectrum because he, he, he the things that he, he thought would work weren't working and it caused him to kind of lose his mind. <laughs> I'm not going to disagree and say Simon Pegg wasn't interesting as Scotty. Oh, absolutely. I'm not, can you picture James Doohan? Is it Doohan? Doohan. Doohan. You, can you picture James Doohan? No. Saying. I can tell you that I right like now. I like the ship. Yeah. I, I, I can't imagine him saying that because James <laughs> Doohan, Scotty, almost, he doesn't have an exciting, you know, I'm going to fuck the Enterprise. It's almost like he has a romantic look at the ship. And he's very serious minded. And he's very serious minded. There were moments in the movies because you have to have those funny, quirky moments. You know, like when he said, I know the ship, ship in the, like back the back of, back of my, my hand, hand and then and he... slams into the <laughs> slams himself into the freaking yeah. uh, railing. Yeah. All right. So let's move on. Uh, this episode directed by Maha Verviho and written by the co-showrunner himself, Henry Alonzo Myers. The synapsis when the USS Enterprise investigates an attack on a colony at the edge of Federation space. Captain Pike and his crew face the return of a formidable enemy. So this particular episode stands as a long awaited gem. Hints of the Gorn threat have been strategically interwoven into various instances across this season's narrative landscape. Regrettably, the Gorn's prominence didn't ascend to the levels I had had hoped Nevertheless, the writers adhered to the quintessential Star Trek narrative archetype by affording them a pivotal role in the season's culminating episode. The Gorn's intermittent appearances and mentions throughout the season worked as logical moments of foreshadowing. Uh, this strategy did work to build anticipation. So we don't have a complete issue of dropping the ball when it comes to the Gorn. I feel like they put those necessary narrative plants is what I call them yeah. to make sure we're reminded throughout the season that the Gorn are a rising threat. So I feel like most of us did anticipate that they would be front and center during the season finale. And in that perspective or looking at it from that perspective, it did absolutely pay off. This artistry aligns with the principle of Chekhov's gun in film theory, where every narrative element is poised to serve a purpose. A purpose, yeah. Uh, throughout the season, as I said, the Gorn's subdued presence has cultivated an ambience of suspense akin to the suspenseful tactics employed by Hitchcock. So they did do a good job. Mm -hmm. I don't have any complaints with how they addressed by the end of the season, the rising threat of the Gorn. Yes. They, they did that. They did the rising threat of the Gorn in this particular episode almost by textbook. They did it well enough yes. by, by textbook. Yes. It, it is a, a textbook approach. And I'm not going to fault them for that. They, that was actually something they did very well. Where... I might question uh, their method in this point is like, because of that, because we focused very well enough or very well enough, but 
but well enough on the Gorn throughout the entire thing. I felt by the end of it, I felt like if you just gave us a little bit more time, you could have actually had it. It wouldn't have felt rushed to me. Uh, like, I'll be honest by the end of the episode, I liked the episode, but I mean, by the end I felt instead of like when it ends on a to be continued in Star Trek, it's like, Oh, I can't wait for a second season in this point. I'm like, Oh man, I want to know more what the heck was going on. And it's almost like they could have taken a little bit more time, maybe even say another episode. Well, David, if they got rid of the old, that old scientist or those old scientists episode and gave us a Gorn episode, that would have <laughs> fixed the problem. Yeah, nah, well, I could make the argument that no, because it ties still to Pike's story of basically you know, yes, but they could have done that with a Gorn episode as well. <laughs> My point is, is that I agree with you, Dave. I yeah. don't disagree. I do feel like they should have given us some more, but I, I don't know if, if there's room for criticism per se, yeah. maybe, maybe taste when it comes to taste. I would like to, I would like to have been given a bit more on the Gorn, but as you said, this is a textbook play. They did it correctly. And it doesn't feel like they pulled this Gorn aspect out of their ass because they did do a their due diligence by reminding us throughout the season. But it would have been nice not to just have reminders. Yes. It would have been nice to actually see an episode that focuses a bit more on the Gorn. So, and, yeah, and I, especially, I, I get where you're coming from. Especially in this episode where we now are questioning the motives of the Gorn. When they started actually, and it, it was like, that moment when Pike, and this was after April basically planted the seeds of, oh, monsters is a term that basically people use to, to give something they don't understand. And then later on, Pike is now questioning, maybe we should communicate with the Gorn. And then you throw in the quickly about how Scotty makes the comment that basically, oh, they just attacked us out of the blue. And they were like, they give that little hint that it was during a, uh, a sun flare. All that stuff was fantastic. I forgot. Was it a sun flare or something? Dealing it was kind with, of like a, I believe it's a sun flare. Something dealing with the flares that shortly after they started is when the Gorn attacked. When the Gorn attacked. And then throughout the episode, they're hinting at the fact that, oh, the Gorn communicate differently than humans. They they don't communicate like us. They're more almost reptilian or swarm like, like insect like. Mm -hmm. And it's all of a sudden like throughout the entire episode, they did it perfectly. They laid the groundwork there, but all that groundwork feels like it could have been kind of stretched out more, fleshed out more in other episodes. And that's why I say is like, by the end of this, I like what they did. But it goes to like what you're saying. I find myself either criticizing it because not because critically, maybe I'm criticizing it because I don't like it creatively. I wish they could have changed their creative a little bit more. In, in what regard? You know, maybe there is some validity to what you said about like, oh, they, I know I was joking around though. They should take out the old scientist episode. Oh, there, there's more than just validity, Dave. But there, <laughs> but there is some there is some validity to like there are episodes here where like, well, while this episode was great, did we really need it for this story arc? Rather than removing a fun episode that did a lot for Captain Pike, like those old scientists did, maybe this is an argument for what we've been asking or talking about all season. We need more episodes. Exactly. 10 episodes with a series built on this type of format, an episodic format, it just isn't enough when it comes to Star Trek. Because, it's not. Because, yeah, there, there, there could be episodes that you could look at this past season and say, well, they should remove this. But, but honestly, episodes, but you're right, David. If you remove one component to this season, it falls apart. It falls apart. Because it's such a short season. Like You need every episode. I, I, I was telling someone, I mean, like, is there an episode that you can legitimately look at and say, 
There is, we could do without that. And it was like, I don't think that we could. We couldn't. I looked at the list even prior to us recording, and I'm like going, every episode was relevant in every its own way. Every one was relevant, even though, like, say, for example, um, the Kirk episode that we all love mm-hmm. had nothing to do with Pike. It was all about the legacy of Kirk and uh, but it was. Anne. But I would also say that it's about situating Star Trek canon for this new era. Yeah. And also it does a lot for La'an. So. And yeah, exactly. So if I, you I take that out, yeah. you lose that. And I don't want to actually yeah. take out tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. Yeah. I don't think we need to have, I don't think that's a discussion we need to have. Right, David? Like, I don't think the discussion should be about removing episodes. Removing it episodes. should be about Adding. giving us more episode, giving, more episodes per season. Giving the writers enough room to breathe yeah like, there you go i i honestly feel more that wiggle room more wiggle room because the the writing the writers have done a fantastic job the past two seasons i think oh, they've yeah. earned it oh yeah they're very capable i have no problems with their writing whatsoever the gorn threat served an additional purpose in the narrative working to seamlessly unravel and unri- and enrich some of the 11th hour emotional threads that emerged due to Chapel and Spock's rift. I suppose what I mean by that is the strategic integration of the Gorn threat into the storyline bore even greater significance because it served as a conduit to untangle and amplify the intricate emotional strands that had rapidly woven themselves around Chapel and Spock's fractured relationship. I am overtly stating their strategy when it comes to the Gorn. In a way, the emotional strands that had rapidly woven themselves around Chapel and Spock's relationship or fractured relationship, in a way, this took moments of the intangible and reified them in order to facilitate uh, an ex, an intricate exploration of their characters, enabling the audience to connect with their struggle on a more relatable level because the subspace Rhapsody episode was a great way to kind of get the poison out, but we needed something <laughs> we it. of closure. We needed some emotional yes. closure, something to bring some resolve, a bandaid, if you will, until next season. And that's something that the Gorn threat did because of the nature of Chapel and Spock's story and how Spock was desperate to find her alive and even went out into the depths of space to, to, find, her. to find her. That was a powerful moment that wouldn't have actually worked any other way except if they utilized the Gorn threat that they have been alluding to all season. Yes. Also as it pertains to Pike who in terms of writing and development did get a bit lost this season and it provided a backdrop against which Pike's inclination to share his inner self with Patel found a natural and compelling context. Basically the Gorn threat functioned as a type of crucible for testing the character's resilience and growth, specifically when it comes to Pike's willingness to share more of himself with Patel, we were granted an intimate glimpse into Pike's vulnerability. This specific aspect established between the character's personal evolutions and the imminent Gorn threat aided in deepening the viewer's emotional investment. And all of this was done because of the Gorn threat by putting Patel in harm's in way. Harm's way, yeah. Suddenly... What we saw in Subspace Rhapsody had greater importance because we saw Pike was willing to be vulnerable now because of the singing disease. That's what I'm calling it. Yes. The singing disease or the singing reality. The singing reality. You know, pushed them into this uncomfortable territory if that episode had not come prior. That's why I say we shouldn't be removing episodes because if that episode hadn't come prior, it would have been harder to swallow the story aspects in this episode where Pike was willing to be emotional. Yes. Obviously and outwardly emotional and concerned for Patel. Well, also on top of that, that that moment when he looks at Patel and says no more secrets, he doesn't want to keep any more secrets. And then she shows him that, yeah, she's been infected by the Gorn. That 
really carried on that idea that Patel and Pike are are the are these two people who want to be a couple but are learning that basically they have to be what truthful with each other. They have to be like in Subspace Rhapsody, they have to be willing to share emotions with each other. And I agree with you. I love the fact that they carried that on. I love the fact that they carry carried that on for Pike. But the, also the other thing I really liked about what they carried on for Pike was from um, among the Lotus leaves, when he has to make that decision, do I leave my crew? Because remember the whole point of Pike's growth up to this point is he realizes the purpose in his life right now is his crew. He made that decision that their destiny is his purpose. And in, uh, among the Lotus, uh, Lotus, uh, Lee, um, Lotus petals, I think I forgot what it's called, but the Lotus eaters, he comes face to face with the fact that he left a crew member behind and he pays for that. And then here in the Gorn, we leave off with Pike having to make the ultimate decision. He's learned up to this point. Oh, my purpose is my crew's safety and well-being. Well, now you're stuck with, what do you do? Do you leave the crew behind that have eventually that from all takes of purposes have been captured by the Gorn or do you stand and fight and put the risk of the crew that's with you in, in jeopardy? And I like that basically they took that idea that all of Pike's uh, problems up to this point come full circle. Now with Patel, it comes full circle and comes to a natural resolution. The one part for me that I got a little, I want to say irritated, but as I said, it feels like it was rushed and it needs more time is the idea that, okay, you have a choice, Pike, leave the crew behind, or do you actually stand and fight for them and find a way of getting them back, bring them back because they're so important to you. And when they left it at a cliffhanger. You're talking about the, the people from the town, from the yeah, city, or, uh, the, the colonists. Well, you can't remember some of those. They're the ones that were taken as, as well as some of Patel's so, crew that were on. As well as some of the Enterprise crew. You got to remember that Mbanga and Ortegas is among them. <laughs> so. What? Yeah. You didn't realize that? I don't remember that. Dave, yeah. But. Mbanga and Ortegas is with the, the people that were taken. Oh, well. So. Well. Pike has to make that choice. Does he leave his crew behind? I thought they all got beamed up because they were in the same area with each other. Nope. Because remember, they, they told everyone him, in that room got beamed up at the same time. Except when they did the twist where they said, oh, hey, those people Gorn that beamed okay. they, the Gorn beamed them up. And it was like front and center, just like a flip of a switch. It, that for me was the time when they said, okay. Now, not only do we get it, but I don't think that was rushed. You felt like that was rushed. I don't, it, I don't feel like anything was rushed. I kind of felt it was rushed toward the end because it goes to a, to be continued. And I'm a feeling like, man, that's not rushed. That's more? called a, to be, con <laughs> to call it to be continued. But it isn't rushed, but it seemed like the twist just happened out of the blue. Like that's how twists happen. Dave. No, no, no. What I mean is like the whole point about putting all of a sudden, he thinks he gets all of the crew. Nope. He just got partial of his crew back. And it's like, what the, it, to me, it felt like, well, what the heck happened? I get what you're saying, but I don't, I don't feel like it was rushed. What, what do you mean? What, what happened? What because, happened like, was, it was never established that basically was the, the Gorn, Gorn can, the, it's never established. The Gorn can beam people up. David, that doesn't need to be established. That is technology in the universe. It's not exclusive to the Federation. I always, I always felt that that technology was exclusive to the Federation. No, it's not. Be because you got to remember the Gorn is also being po poised as like this bestial race or bestial race. Yeah, I don't, I don't <laughs> think transporter is a is a technology that's exclusive to the Federation at this point. In Enterprise, maybe it was during that time frame, but I don't believe in this time period it's exclusive. It's a device that has been dispersed to other members of the Federation. And if that technology has been given to other members of the Federation, it stands to reason that technology has been, you know, reverse engineered by other alien by other species. species? It just, yeah, I don't think that's ever been. A, I've never had an issue with that because we've seen species use transporters since the 
the conception of Star Trek. This is the first time that actually th- it did bother me because to me, it's kind of like, wait a minute. We've never seen the Borg or the, the Borg. We've never seen the Gorn have like this much technology before. David, we've never seen the Gorn before, really. But it's never been established. That's but we've never seen the... David, you got to establish, gotta establish it. it. You got to establish it for me. You got to establish this it. is them establishing it. <laughs> <laughs> this is where I don't agree with you. Usually you and I are on the same page, but I don't agree with you. And I, I do see where you're coming from, but I'm wondering if you're just more annoyed that the show didn't have full resolve because it was to be continued. And that's the thing. Which that's why I said. a little paradoxical, David, since you're the one who always wants to be continued. And that's the thing. That's why, as I said, I felt very, you, you said you felt conflicted. Oh, no. I felt really conflicted about this episode. Yeah, I didn't feel conflicted about this episode. I feel conflicted about the season at large because of things we discussed during the pre-show. Yeah. You know, dealing with Captain Pike Captain just not Pike being... Not being and, there. Not being as as prevalent as he should be as a captain of the Enterprise. I don't agree. I don't feel like it was rushed at all. I feel like it was... Um, properly written from act one to what act how many acts were there maybe six or seven i think all the appropriate beats were there uh and and in fact there was resolve even though there's a to be continued it doesn't mean an episode is just cut in half you get what i'm saying yeah the writers shouldn't set out to write a two-hour episode that's not how it works and then they just okay we're done now 55 minutes that's not how you write a, a properly formatted television show with all the appropriate act structures. And in my opinion, I feel like all the appropriate act structures were there. The climax, closure, the denouement, everything that needs to be there is there, but it was to be continued. It was an ongoing story. Uh, if this was a serial, like, say, Discovery, they probably wouldn't do the, the to, be to be continued because this is more episodic. So they have to formally say there's going to be a part two as well. That's so a good I'll point. I go, never thought about that. I didn't think about that. How also the formats come into play at this point. Yeah. Maybe you're, maybe you're just saying it feels rushed because you just felt like you wanted more. Yeah. I mean, that's what I, I said earlier. I, I mean, I can't disagree. I think we all want a little more. All right. So I find the direction they've taken overall with the Gorn for the last two seasons to be quite captivating. I do agree that there needs to be more. I would like there to be more, but much like how star Trek, the next generation, you know, ingeniously forged their most formidable adversaries, the Borg by drawing inspirations from the cinematic lineage of the zombie genre. As I mentioned at the top of the show, the creative minds steering the course of this new installment are adeptly tapping into similar territory by dipping their toes into a subgenre of horror that was notably ignited in 1979 with Ridley Scott's seminal work alien. And I absolutely love the influences of Scott's and Cameron's work. That's obviously being utilized to craft or flesh out this new version of the Gorn. And the reason why I say this new version of the Gorn, and it kind of goes back to what you said, David, that you feel like <laughs> never been established with the transporter, which I disagree <laughs> with that logic, but I do agree with your point. I understand that we, we need to, we need to be introduced to more Gorn things, but that's what they're attempting to do. This is the show that they're doing that. in. it's like going back to season, let's say three of next generation and say, well, you know, the Borg assimilates people, but I just need there to be more explanation. Well, it's season three and it's the first time we ever saw them. Pretend you've never seen the Gorn before, Dave. You know, and it may not bother you as much because this, for all intents and purposes, this is their real introduction, not the arena. And when you're looking at it that way, I feel like it works a bit better. And I know you're of the same mindset of several other Star Trek. Well, not several, many Star Trek fans. When it comes to the Gorn, there seems to be a lot of people that are conflicted with how they're utilizing the Gorn. And that's is what has caused many blogs to reach out to (laughs) various producers and visual effects supervisors and ask them what the plan is with the Gorn. And apparently according to the VFX supervisor, his answer is enough to get us excited. And he says, there's a lot to be determined as it comes to the Gorn. 
So I can't reveal a whole lot of that. But it's like, yeah, if you look at a bee society, you've got drones and you've got the queen, you've got workers and there's some demarcation. So that doesn't mean that what you're seeing right now is the end of the story. And he alludes to the fact that this very well may be a variation of the Gorn. And he says, I can't say anymore because there are things still being worked out. So what I have a feeling is what's happening here is that originally they said, let's use the Gorn. Wee! And as they're writing, they realize, shit, we might run the risk of breaking canon. So what if from the back end, we start recontextualizing the Gorn as a species and we look at them like we did the Andorians as well as the Romulans and possibly flesh out this idea that there's different versions. There's different subspecies. Subspecies, yeah. And I could get, I definitely could get behind that. Because that Gorn we saw, David, at the end is very, <laughs> very different. Very different. <laughs> and even though I totally dug the way he looked and I felt sorry for him when he died. <laughs> Anytime you have anything that's an animal, I feel sorry for him, even if they're bad. <laughs> even if they're bad. Even if they're trying to eat you. Yeah, I just kind of felt bad for it. But... <laughs> look very different and i love the design but it looks nothing like the gorn we saw in enterprise which oh, if you remember that. we saw remember when that uh, the gorn was uh infiltrating the enterprise when it was taken over yes i think it was season four we saw the gorn we saw the gorn in the arena and this looks nothing like them. nothing like them and i understand that star trek is a bit notorious for changing alien species you know, just like that, they, dime, they yeah. did it with the Borg and the fact that they used to have babies in drawers. Yes, they, <laughs> they, did. they did it with the Bajorans yes. when they were first introduced in the next generation. And Riker had a trill inside of him, which we know now <laughs> in Deep Space Nine, if something like that was removed from him, he would have died. He would have died. <laughs> the trills are completely different when you look at them from TNG to deep space nine the klingons mm -hmm. they have continued to try to explain away the the ridgeless klingons they that's, did a pretty good yeah, job that's in, a good that, that, in that's one enterprise explaining that they're a part of some genetic modifications i want to say they were borrowing from the the human augments and trying to experiment with their own yes. super soldiers that then took away the ridges of these klingons so they've done a, a good job with the klingons trying to realign it and fix it but star trek is notorious for this and it's something that unfortunately just comes with the territory when you're dealing with a franchise that's over 50 years old oh yeah and the thing is is like when they do stuff like this if they can just do it creatively as uh, as well as the, what they've done with the Gorn, where it's kind of like. So you have a problem with the Gorn? No, no, no. I don't oh, have okay. any problem with the Gorn. Don't don't get me wrong there. I have no problem with how they're uh, quote unquote adding. To me, it's like what you alluded to. So it's your like, problem is only with how it ended. You felt yes. like it. Okay, all right. Yeah, okay, that's so let's move thing. past that. I just want to make sure. So go well, ahead. Sorry. That's the that's the thing I liked about what they're doing with the Gorn is because they're giving them something different, something unique, but it's, it comes down to just like what you said, that ending, the ending to me, just, I wish it would have been more. And just like what you said, maybe it's because I, I'm the, uh, I, I'm in that mindset where it's like, if you're going to do it to be continued, do it like what they did last season where it was like that true cliffhanger. Oh, Una gets arrested to be continued. Cool. That's awesome. To me, it, 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 it kind of felt for me, just like what you alluded to, where it's like, you, uh, I felt like they were writing two episodes instead of just focusing on one episode. All right. So let's move on to, what we've been talking about and never really getting into now for the past 40 minutes. And that's <laughs> Admiral April's assertion to Pike monster is a word to describe those who don't understand us. Now this resonates deeply within the philosophical underpinnings of Gene Roddenberry's Star Trek universe. And this I'm talking to all those who continually say that this is an abomination and Gene Roddenberry would be rolling in his grave, even though 
most of season four and season five is text of season four and season five of discovery is literally textbook Gene Roddenberry. And this season of strange new worlds and the many philosophical aspects we've had is textbook Gene Roddenberry or well, here we are again, this statement monster is a word to describe those who don't understand us encapsulates a core component of Roddenberry's vision where the exploration of space is not just a physical endeavor, but also a profound exploration of the human condition, ethics, and the complexities of communication. That's the key. Yes. In viewing Roddenberry's cosmology in this context, the crew's interactions with supposed adversaries reveal a very profound truth. Antagonists are often not driven by inherent malevolence, but are instead rooted in a lack of comprehension or distorted perspectives. And I'm wondering if, based on April's words, and we're going back to the, the film theory aspect of Chekhov's gun, We, I'm wondering if we will find out that they are driven by something that Starfleet might not understand. I think so. And the reason why I say this is because going back to textbook film theory and Chekhov's gun, you have to have reasons for things, right, to happen. Yeah. And those things that happen have to have reasons. And those reasons have to be implemented before it happens, not after the fact. And now some people may roll their eyes and say, well, that's obvious, but it's not obvious. If you watch <laughs> today's television landscape, there's a lot of jackasses who shouldn't be writing, who don't follow these rules. Now there's that moment. And I found it. I found the words here that explains when the Gorn attacked. Scott explains that the star diver had been in the Shanghai system when the red supergiant star began emitting coronal mass ejections, which Kurt compares to being like solar flares, but much more violent as they were observing the CME activity. The Gorn swarmed them and Scott thinks something about the flares lured them out. So when you have a statement like that, And then you parallel that with April's words about monsters, a word to describe those who don't understand us. And then you take the philosophical underpinnings of all of Star Trek and how Gene Roddenberry has always viewed antagonists as less as, as less evil. And just the fact that they're your villains or your enemies because of communication problems. Yes. I'm wondering if the Gorn are not going to be as certainly they're warlike, right? Certainly they're tribalistic in nature, you have but I think, don't yeah. think they're going to be as evil as they're trying to paint them since the very beginning of strange new worlds with Laan's story of how they impregnate they humans. Breed, they use breeding. There we go. They, they don't impregnate humans. That'd be fucking weird where they use them to lay their eggs. Yes. And then you have Pike's definitive statement, which was a little off character for Pike to say that they're monsters. There's reasons for that. And I have a feeling that at the start of season three, when we get the conclusion to this story, we're going to find out that the Gorn are being driven by something that we don't understand because it's not, a, and it might not be a way of how we communicate. Correct. And I like that because that is what Star Trek's always been about because of the political landscape of the 1960s and how many of the problems that were happening during that time when Gene Roddenberry was writing Star Trek and what inspired him, you know, the civil rights era had to do with the fact that people no longer saw eye to eye. They weren't able to communicate. So yeah. he saw that the root of these problems that were happening to his country had everything to do with communication. And that's what he built the very fabric of Star Trek on. So to see them bring those notes back into a series like Strange New Worlds and allude to that actually being a thing that is governing 
this supposed malevolence of the Gorn species, then suddenly I become a very happy Star Trek fan <laughs> because I realize that it's not about shooting. It's not about killing. It's not about the gore. Yes, it's about solving the problem peacefully and hopefully at the end of that piece is communication. Yeah. Or at least I should say the way you get to that piece is through communication. So just to flesh out the philosophical nuggets a bit more, think about this. This notion aligns with existentialist insights, echoing the one of the godfathers of existentialism, uh, Jean-Paul Sartre's ideas of existential angst and the struggle for understanding in a seemingly indifferent universe, the crew of the Enterprise, standing at the threshold of the unknown, reflects the existentialist journey through isolation and the yearning for meaningful connections. The monster is not a creature of pure evil, but a being whose motivations are veiled by the complexities of their existence. Yes. Now, what about ethical aspects? Ethical considerations also flourish within Roddenberry's universe. The crew's encounters exemplify the moral philosophy that understanding begets empathy, and empathy begets ethical behavior. This echoes the ethical imperative to view others through a lens of compassion, a sentiment that resonates with philosopher Emmanuel Levinas' ideas that ethical responsibility emerges from acknowledging and embracing the unique humanity of each individual, even when that individual is seemingly different or monstrous, his monstrous, words. Yeah. So we can now see how all of this is generated by foundational elements that Star Trek is built on. And when writers overtly or covertly explore these avenues is when an iteration of Star Trek feels most authentic. And that is why, David, at the end of the day, despite me wanting more Gorn, I don't feel like the Gorn was squandered this year because through the use of the Gorn, through the introduction of, or I should say the continuation of Pike's existentialist attitude that's now veering more or becoming more in line with stoicism rather mm -hmm. than existentialism, suddenly we, we see how all of these ideas are being wrangled and brought back into the original authentic Star, Star Trek fold, how everything should be. But before getting there, they have all of these meandering pieces that need to be brought in to fit and align with Gene Roddenberry's view of Star Trek. And the Gorn assisted in doing that this season. Oh, absolutely. Because like the, the one strength that this writing staff has had for this season is making everyone, everyone's story feels connected. Everyone's story feels connected down to even, you know, like the way they use the Gorn, the way they actually tie the Gorn to Pike's story, the way, the way they tie Spock and uh, Chapel's story with the Gorn. That is one of the strengths that this writing staff has has shown since season one. They know just how to do this magic that basically Gene Roddenberry had about making, making your conflict more complex, where it's like, not just about the gore factor. It's not about just, you know, ship to ship, ship blows up, the end. No, there's more to it. There's actually, you know, giving your villains, all of the Gorn, a little more motivation gives it that more depth to, and it, it seems to affect everyone's story. And that's why I really like when Star Trek does that because it feels more the lesson that you're being taught because that's what Star Trek started off as is it's a show where basically we're supposed to learn lessons. You're supposed to question philosophically your own beliefs and see other people's way of thinking. That was the original concept of Star Trek. And when they do that, that is when it truly feels like Trek to me. Yeah. And that's what they've done so well. I don't have a lot of complaints about this show other than the fact that the show needs to be given an extended order count, an episode order count. It cannot be. I feel yeah. with the end of Picard 
and the ending of Discovery, the budget should open up a bit. And rather than starting another show, which this is me saying this, right? And I love the new concepts for the new shows coming out, but let's wait a bit and perhaps give some of that money to Strange New Worlds so it can thrive. Let one show thrive. That is a weird place that we're in right now. Think about this, David. In five years, six years, six years <laughs> since the Kurtzman era started. Okay, since it started, yeah. We're going on its six year. Mm-hmm. Discovery, Picard, Strange New Worlds, Lower Decks, Prodigy, an upcoming Starfleet Academy series, six, perhaps Star Trek Legacy, seven. I'm all about Star Trek. As long as the quality's there, I'm fine. Keep giving it to us. But also we can slow down a bit because it took nearly 30 years to get three. Yes. Star Trek shows before. Think about that. And now we have seven, oh, potentially seven. Potentially seven. But I mean, even within, even within like the past six years, we've gotten five. You could say five fully. In fact, David, I would be okay with them. Ah, oh, this hurts, but <laughs> I would be okay. Listen, Discovery's ending. Yeah, I don't Discovery think, is ending. I don't think it should end. We know Picard's ending. We know Picard is over, right? Yep. I would say hold off on the Academy series and let... Strange New Worlds thrive. Let Strange New Worlds thrive on its own. Allow it to make some money. Give it a little bit more money so that it can have more episodes. And I guarantee you, David, every little problem that we have with this show would probably vanish. Because if you really analyze the little issues we've had throughout the season, if we were given another five episodes, those problems would probably go away. Oh, easily. I think so. I mean, even talking about this, uh, the issues with that we've had with this particular episode, it is actually very obvious that when it comes down to it, our major concern is the amount, the, the amount that this series is being given. Yeah. And let's just wrap this discussion up. And then I want to take five minutes to talk about the series as a whole. Okay. So, my final thoughts for this specific episode, solid episode. It was a great way to end the season. I love those to be continued episodes. I've always had a, a love affair of sorts with those types of episodes. You and I both yeah, really pretty much we love these to be continued episodes. I'm going to give it a 93%. It was a very strong episode. David, keep it brief. Go ahead. I am actually close with you on that one. I'm actually, I got a 92 for this episode. As much as of all the conflict that I've been talking about that I've been having with this episode, my conflict more or less is about the, how the season's been forming. I'm going to delete the transporter comment, Dave. Just <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what you're thinking. With. <laughs> but I think you were just nitpicking at that point. I was nitpicking at that. I was being a, tr I was trying to be a troll. You were being a Star Trek <laughs> troll. I mean, go watch you go write that on Twitter. None of this show. <laughs> None of the show. But I honestly, honestly think it is a strong episode. I had my concerns, but it's not enough to actually break me on the show. Yeah. Because like the performances of all the, the entire cast has been absolutely amazing to the point where I have not seen a ensemble cast like this perform so well to the point that they keep adding to the ensemble cast every the for the past two seasons. Yeah. The, I mean, First slow season, down a bit, but first season, yeah, first season we got introduced to Ethan Peck and and Rebecca Romaine and and uh, Anson Mount's characters, and then in the second season we got like how many new characters? We got introduced to suddenly we get Kirk, we get more of Uhura, we get Mbanga, and mm -hmm. oh Mbanga, and let's not forget we also have our our favorite from last season, which was Hammer. Hammer was fantastic last season. Zombie Hammer was, was dope. <laughs> it was dope. But like, it's amazing to me that basically like, if I'm going to be really interested to see what they do in season three, because are we going to see this continuing trend of them just blasting away like a shotgun and giving us like even more people to the ensemble cast? Can you imagine if they actually add even more people? Yeah. 
I think they're going to bring the Gorn threat to an end. Based on April's comment, I have a feeling that it's not going to be this overarching threat for the entire run of the series. I have a feeling that they will always be around and they will use them in episodes. But once they find out what makes them tick, as I was talking about with the solar flares, that comment that was made, I don't think they're going to be this. They're always going to be a threat, right? Yeah. We, we know that. We much. know that they're going to be a threat. But I don't think they're going to be a narrative threat. I don't think they're going to be something that the writers are going to use all the time. Like they've been using them to, um, like they've been using them since the beginning of the season, since yeah. the beginning of the show. Just like the Borg. The Borg story was closed out too in TNG. Yes. And then they brought it back when they needed to. So they're probably going to do something like that with the Gorn. They'll probably veer away from them for a while and then introduce something new the and thing then that, go back to it later, which listen, that's how you build out a library of foes Yeah, is by closing out some stories for a bit, introduce a new and then bring back the old when you need it. The thing that, the thing that has me excited though, because of how much, how much confidence I have in the writing staff for, for strange new worlds, I want to actually see how they're going to explain the uh, Gorn, especially, or like not explain them away, but basically solve the issue with the Gorn. I and think it's going to be like JJ Abrams did in uh eight millimeter and uh, or what is it? Eight millimeter. I think so. Yeah. And um, the, the aliens, they just want to go home. They just, <laughs> they just want to go home. <laughs> <laughs> awful <laughs> all right david really fast um we need to close out the show so 30 seconds and you kind of already been going into it but let's finalize it thoughts on season two thoughts on season two i really liked it i had a lot of fun with it i still think season one is better however when it comes to the fun factor, the experimentation factor, season two blows it out of the water because of I, there were times this season I'm like going, I can't believe I'm watching a Star Trek film that's doing this or telling this type of story. And this is the first, this is the one season of Star Trek that me and you have covered outside of Strange New Worlds, you know, including Discovery, including Lower Decks, including all of that where I'm looking at all the episodes and I'm like going, I can't pick a favorite one because me and you have kind of like a tradition where we go, Oh, this is our favorite episode of this season. This season, I can't pick an actual favorite one. Yeah, none of them are bad. None of them are bad, but none of them are like, how can I pick this? How can I pick tomorrow, tomorrow and tomorrow again over something like That's my favorite episode of the season? I would, uh, and you know what the sad part is? I would agree with you, but then I thought about it. I'm like, going, but the Mbanga episode. Yeah, that was really good too. Holy uh, crap. That was a good episode. Yeah. So David, I'm pretty much there with you. This, I feel like season one was far stronger, but that doesn't mean season two wasn't a great installment of Star Trek. It is a very well-written show. The writers continue to amaze me with the ideas that I don't think would ever work. And yet they're finding ways to make it work like the musical episode, like the lower decks crossover. crossover. And I'm, that's impressive to me when you it could is. prove me wrong, that something will work when on paper I'm looking at it and I'm like, this is all shit. What are you doing? <laughs> I'm impressed. And I love when writers can convince me that they were right, that they know what they're doing. And Looking at that moving into season three gives me faith that the seasons will continue to be just as good. Maybe they won't be as good as the first season, although I stand by our, our thoughts. I think was it during episode five or episode six when the news came out that the reason why Anson Pike was not around as Anson Pike, Anson Pike. Why Anson, Anson Mount was not around to play Pike during the first what quarter half of the season roughly yeah. was because his wife was pregnant. So perhaps that is what we are feeling. And, and that might. So maybe moving into season three and 
Anson Mount will obviously be around unless suddenly his wife decides to pop out another, <laughs> then if, if that's the case, then I'm, I, I'm pretty sure we can, we can stand a reason that season three will probably be just as strong as the first season. Cause that might be the problem with season two, why it feels not as good was because they didn't have their captain front and center yeah. from the beginning. And then when you take a step back and actually look at the possible reasons that this might be the issue, you can't hold it against the, the, the season for, for quote unquote, this is a bad thing about the season. Yeah. Because like the season's still extremely strong. The season's still strong. And the, and the, and the crew was able to put together episodes that still felt like they mattered. Yeah. Yep. All right. So this brings us to the end. I want to thank everyone for listening. We are taking a month off until Lower Deck starts, <laughs> but we will be putting out Patreon shows. We're finally going to get into our Spock discussion. Uh, what's the name of that novel, Dave? Spock Must Spock, Die. Spock Must Die. Which is the first official original story. That was published as a novel uh, back in what, 1970, early 1970s, yep. maybe even late 60s. Mm -hmm. So we're going to review that. I was surprised when I read it, how well it was written. It's heavy on philosophy. and That's probably why I really, really enjoyed it. So we're going to talk about that, but we're actually going to be using that as a platform to talk about transporter eccentric episodes. Yes. And we're going to get into the philosophy of the transporter because there's things there. There's a lot of interesting things that maybe people are not aware of that govern the, the phobias and fears behind the transporter. So we're going to talk about that, which Spock must die. That novel delves into that. That's why head first. Yeah. That's why I feel like it's a, an episode or I should say it's a book that would be great to launch that discussion. And that will be a themed discussion that will carry on for several months. So we're going to start it this month, I believe next week. But then once Lower Deck starts, we'll, we'll have to pull back on that. It's just too much. Yeah. All right. I lost uh, my ability to speak. That means it's time to end. <laughs> Thank you, David. Thank you. Live long and prosper. I couldn't help but notice your pain. My pain. It runs deep. Share it with me. End simulation.